You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Devin Lincoln, and I'm an attorney in Lozano Smith's Monterey office. On a special episode of the podcast today, I'm welcoming back two extraordinary attorneys, Karen Rosendis and Maddie Scott. Karen is managing partner of Lozano Smith, and Maddie is our invaluable retired partner, partner emeritus, perhaps. Welcome back. Thank you, Devin. Looking forward to it. Oh, I'm happy to be here. And since my pronouns are she and her, I'm probably partner emerita. Emerita. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for that. Excellent. Let's start out with some Latin. Okay. Well, regular listeners will remember that in January, I spoke with Karen and Maddie about the history of school finance in California. And the result was one of my personal favorite Lozano Smith podcasts to date. At the end of that podcast and during that conversation, we realized there was so much more to cover um, in the area of finance and budget issues, et cetera, that I promised to bring the two of you back to discuss the governor's budget and related school finance issues. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, We're going to talk generally about how the state of California sets its fiscal priorities, how those priorities impact public agencies, especially public schools. That's our focus on this particular podcast. And also about this moment, in this particular moment in California politics. We have a new governor, a new superintendent of public instruction. We are seeing pressures from labor strikes in large urban districts and other matters um, that make this a unique moment. And if you've been listening to some of our conversations this spring, you've heard some of these themes. Um, for instance, when I spoke with Lou Lozano and Darren Cameo about life with Janice, etc. So we've got a lot to cover. Um, we've got the right team to do it. Are you both ready? Yes. Let's dive in. Great. Okay, let's set the scene. Um, I'm going to ask you both if you can share with us some stories, perhaps from your own practice, your own experiences, about how state budget issues can affect our clients, how they've affected them in the past. Um, In particular, perhaps, Karen, you could start by helping us with how um, budget issues can constrain an agency's options at the bargaining table. Okay. So one of the most recent examples occurred during the Great Recession Mm -hmm. in California that began around 2007. And because we serve one-eighth of our nation's children in our public schools, it had an enormous impact on public education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So back then, the state was facing a $40 billion deficit. And that deficit was... Um, spread to public school districts throughout California, and they experienced very unpredictable um, budget cuts throughout several years. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. a rough time. Mm -hmm. It was one of Mm -hmm. the roughest times I had personally experienced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, what happened during that time was a number of things. There were a number of of impacts on labor negotiations, um, a number of impacts on kids. So just to describe a few of them. Sure. um, Back then, um, at first, school districts thought, oh, it can't be as bad as it it Mm -hmm. seems. Mm -hmm. And so first they Mm -hmm. started with hiring freezes or not agreeing to provide any increases through labor negotiations. Mm -hmm. But then as the crisis continued over a long period of time, then cuts needed to be made in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And so those cuts um, occurred in every imaginable program. They usually started with classified staff getting the brunt of the cuts initially, Mm -hmm. meaning custodians and paraeducators and um, library clerks and health clerks and administrative people. They first experienced the initial brunt of the um, recession because the process to lay off those positions can happen throughout a school year versus Mm -hmm. at one particular Mm -hmm. time. But then the layoffs progressed into counselors, uh, Mm. impacted the arts, impacted Mm -hmm. athletics, impacted pretty much every possible elective that schools offer, Mm -hmm. increased class sizes. And then through negotiations, districts tried to restore those positions, tried to limit the amount of layoffs. And so um, there were a lot of concessionary um, actions that our labor partners and the unions absorbed in order to keep people employed. Mm -hmm. And that included furlough days, meaning people weren't paid for days. Um, School didn't take place on those days. Mm -hmm. The state allowed Mm -hmm. schools to operate for a a shorter period of time, meaning Mm -hmm. kids got less Mm -hmm. instruction. I'm remembering all this, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was a rough time. Mm -hmm. Um, Health benefits were negotiated so that they provided 
lower levels of benefits. Mm -hmm. There were salary schedule freezes. Mm -hmm. um, just you name it, districts tried everything they could to just keep afloat and mm -hmm. not go bankrupt during those times. Mm -hmm. But it was a, an entirely um, family impact, meaning everyone from mm -hmm. um, the superintendent to um, people in the classified um, world all suffered. Most, mm -hmm. most districts applied an equal suffering rule mm -hmm. where everyone was equally cut, but mm -hmm. ultimately it impacted kids and it impacted people. Wow. It was a really difficult time. Right, right. Okay. Well, that could be more stark. Maddie, what's some of your perspective on Well, on the what past? Karen says reminds me of what it was like right after Prop 13. Mm. Uh, Which we talked about last time. We yeah. did, and mm -hmm. we're, we're going to talk about yeah. it again this mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. It was huge. Mm -hmm. And the way school finance changed in the uh, mid to late 70s and the 80s uh, was just head spinning for everyone. Um, it, no, one, no one had seen anything like it before. Uh, we had, um, there was a CTA guy from the central office in CTA who was a genius, and I cannot remember his name. It'll come to me in a month or two, but I mm -hmm. can't remember his name. CTA is um, California Teachers Association, California right? California Teachers Association. Okay. And he would come in and he would set both sides straight. Mm -hmm. I would be delighted when he'd show up when the teachers thought there was more money coming in than there would be. Mm -hmm. um, the, at one point, um, I used to sort of encourage the teachers to bring him in when I had um, business managers, they call them CBOs now, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. uh, were kind of old line guys who were used to hiding money and uh, <laughs> uh, just really had trouble wrapping their heads around what was happening in Sacramento at such a swift pace. So uh, I would be happy when he would come in and explain it to these guys. And I remember once it, it took us all the way to fact-finding to get him to come in. And the CBO really never really understood what was coming in from the state mm. until our CTA guy showed up. <laughs> because I was just a gal, and I couldn't really uh, give him a decent explanation ah. that he would listen to. Mm. Yeah, good old days. That's really interesting, the comment about having the CTA um, regional or statewide representative coming in, mm. and it was his voice that, that was persuasive, but also he probably knew more about the state budget than anybody else. And I think there's some of that that still happens today mm -hmm. with the um, amount of CTA lobbying that occurs at the state level. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, CTA or some of the other professional unions that school districts partner with have information um, sooner mm -hmm. um, that, than mm -hmm. school district mm -hmm. leadership does, which mm -hmm. is really an interesting mm -hmm. issue for school districts. Well, and I think sometimes they understand it rather better than the uh, legislators who are voting on it. Uh, mm. When term limits came in in, uh, when was it, Two, uh, 1990? No. Yeah, it was 1990. 1990. Mm -hmm. um, it was accompanied by um, a drastic cut in the budget of the legislature itself for their staff members and their mm. advisors and the um, Legislative Analyst's Office. Mm -hmm. The Legislative Analyst's Office lost 60% of its budget. Wow, the they're institutional the, memory. Well, and they're, they're, the the, they're the ones who analyze the fiscal impact of the bills. So right. um, it, that we're jumping ahead a little, but that was part of sort of the cascade of events that uh, made the legislature put it in the position that it's in today. You talked to, you were saying, Devin, that we're going to talk about how California sets its priorities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Doesn't really set its priorities. Mm, they, okay. are, they are set by a sort of a zombie finance system that mm -hmm. we've inherited that needs to be changed. Okay, so let's start there. Tell me more about that. Well, it is not a pretty story. Okay. Um, in the 70s, the fiscal conservatives in the state launched a robot called Jarvis Gann. And Jarvis Gann. Okay. Is that the name of a bill? Uh, well, I'll, I'll explain it. That's okay. the name of the robot, basically. Okay. The progressives responded in the 80s with a robot called Prop 98. Okay. So these two robots have been doing battle ever since, mm -hmm. and that's how, basically, that's how the financial priorities are set in uh, California. Okay. Okay. I'd never heard it described that way. Well, it's... Uh, it, there's any number of ways to describe it, but I think that that's as valid as any. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I first started practicing, 
the California Constitution, Article 16, Section 8, was a single sentence. Okay. From all state revenues, there shall first be set apart the monies to be applied by the state for support of the public school system and public institutions of higher education. Sounds great, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That was a priority. And so now Article 8, uh, Section 8 is miles long because that's where Prop 98 lives. Okay. Um, the Constitution has had a long-standing requirement that the legislature has to submit a balanced budget to the governor by June 15th mm -hmm. and has to adopt it by July 1st. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to make a budget, you need revenues coming in so that you can make expenditures going out. And the so-called taxpayers' revolt of the 1970s which we talked about the last time we were together, amended mm -hmm. the Constitution by the initiative process. First, it severely limited the um, available revenues with Prop 13. Mm -hmm. And then the following year, it limited state expenditures from the general fund with Prop 4, the GAN Amendment. Okay, okay. We didn't talk about Prop 4 last time. We so. didn't, no. Right. And I'm not going to talk about it in technicality mm -hmm. because everybody would go to sleep. <laughs> you uh, don't want to do that. But, but basically, it said you can't spend more than a certain amount mm -hmm. said at a certain historical point that's been tinkered with mm -hmm. a few times since. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 70s were already a wild ride in California school finance. We'd had the Serrano decision mandating mm -hmm. equalization of funds among districts, uh, the changes in state and federal law requiring education for children with disabilities had been enacted mm -hmm. in the 70s, mm -hmm. the EERA, which brought in labor negotiations in the schools in 1976. I wow. mean, really, it mm -hmm. was a, a culture shift. Mm -hmm and a technical shift. So in the late 70s and on through the 80s, the districts cut, and they cut, and they cut some more, laid off teachers, mm -hmm. closed schools. It was brutal. I mean, yeah. and it was not as, it, it was not even as well thought out as what Karen described that happened a couple of decades later because they'd never faced anything like that probably mm -hmm. since the Dep Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then in 1987, there was federal tax reform. Mm -hmm. And that produced a surge in state revenues, and the GAN limit triggered a $1.1 billion rebate to taxpayers wow. while schools were suffering. Mm -hmm. So the state had to give it back to the taxpayers, and mm -hmm. that lit the fuse of the education community. Mm -hmm. And that led to the passage of an, an initiative, Prop 98, in 1989. Okay. That guaranteed that a minimum portion of state revenues should go to education and also that the amount in the general fund above the GAN limit should go to education and not back to taxpayers. So how does that work? You said the amount that anything that's above the GAN limit has to go back to schools, is that right? Um, that's what Prop 98 said. Okay. And okay. it's been, again, that's been, been tinkered with since in a number of ways mm -hmm. because limits uh, have now been tied into rainy day funds. Mm -hmm. um, it's too technical to explain. Mm -hmm. Uh, without losing the historical thread, and I think mm -hmm. the historical thread is important because it should mm -hmm. be impelling us to some action today. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, they've had so they've added formulas for rainy day funds at the state and local levels. They keep making technical adjustments because these zombie finance devices mm -hmm. just uh, make you have to keep passing new laws with new formulas to keep these old formulas from wrecking the joint. Mm -hmm. They just grind forward mechanically. Mm -hmm. And um, the California Constitution is one of a very few state constitutions where the, uh, the voters can amend the Constitution without it being vetted right. by the legislature. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And when we say it's the voters, really it's the people with enough money to uh, gather signatures and promote an initiative, mm -hmm. uh, pure and simple. That's right. So, uh, That's right. So just to pause with you there for a minute, Manny, um, who does the GAN Amendment apply to? The, the GAN Amendment, uh, basically, it set a limit on uh, state expenditures. Mm -hmm. There's also a local feature of it that we won't go into. Mm -hmm. no nobody in, that I know of any longer at the local level is in danger of, of exceeding it, and that's been amended since, too. Um, but. The statewide GAN limit, we were talking about uh, the state setting priorities. Mm -hmm. um, it, it collides with all the other factors that are moving forward automatically. 
Prop 98 mm -hmm. and Prop 13, mm -hmm. um, so that it's just another one of the automatic devices that makes it so hard mm -hmm. for actual planning to go on. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, Maddie, so let's spend a few minutes talking specifically about California's school funding guarantee, Prop 98, which you've already mm -hmm. described. Can you talk about that law and how it's been honored or not in the past several years, past many years? Well, I, I can tell you right after it passed, mm -hmm. uh, it created problems. Um, and just a little technical talk first, mm -hmm. and I hope mm -hmm. you've had your coffee already. <laughs> of course, always. Um, the original Prop 98 in 1988 when it was passed was a guarantee of minimum funding for education with two tests, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Whichever test produced the greater revenue for schools would apply. Mm -hmm. Test one required expenditures of at least the same percentage of general fund taxes as was spent in 1986-87. Mm -hmm. That's been modified a little along the way because of some property tax shifts. Okay. But it's basically the same content, con concept. Test two was taking the same dollar amount that education got the previous year, multiplying it by ADA growth, and multiplying that by inf the inflation factor that was based on the change in per capita income. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So ADA is average daily attendance, right? ADA is average daily attendance. Okay. Great. So right away, sort of, uh, <laughs> the legislature looked ahead and said, uh, this isn't going to help us in a bad year. Huh, okay. Um, so in 88, and they started planning to fix it. 88, 89 was a good year for revenue. So mm -hmm. right after Prop 98, uh, Test 1 applied. Okay. And they got the uh, same percentage of the general fund taxes as the previous year. Gotcha. And that was, for many years, that was the last time uh, Test 1 applied. It's mm. been applied again in some recent years mm. because the economy's picked up. Mm-hmm. Next year, 89-90, was an okay year, and test two, the uh, change in per capita income as a factor, still provided a decent increase. Fortunately, they had passed, well, fortunately or unfortunately, um, without a real crystal ball, the legislature added uh, test three, Prop 111, which had to be voted on mm -hmm. to amend it. Mm -hmm. The same dollar amount as the previous year, times ADA growth, but the inflation factor was going to be the change in per capita general fund revenues, and it would be effective when it would yield an amount less than test two. Mm -hmm. And that was because it was designed for bad years when mm -hmm. general fund revenues weren't growing as fast as, as um, personal income. Mm -hmm. and, the, and Prop 111 also modified the GAN limit, fortunately. Okay, okay. okay. Um, so in 1991, 1990 and 91, uh, the, uh, the legislature passed a budget that was adopted based on test two. Mm. And then the terrible recession of the early 90s during the school year, the legislature declares, oh, we should have used test three. Hmm. So the excess appropriation above test three was a loan to school districts. And school districts, you're going to have to pay it wow. back. And school districts and unions wow. like said, what? Wow. Um, it applied. Test three applied for the next three years, and they used this loan fiction for the next three years, mm -hmm. uh, sending everybody into fits. Right. Um, and making, making the labor scene terribly adversarial. Hmm. Um, CTA v. Gould was a case filed by the teachers against the hmm. um, legislature, against the controller probably. Really? And uh, they won in uh, Superior Court, and so then the state settled, and uh, there were no more loan fictions. Mm -hmm. But there are still many years in which the Prop, 13, the Prop 98 guarantee is not fully met, and so the state will just owe the money for succeeding years. Right. Now, mind you, they owe the money on the, they will raise your base for the succeeding years. They won't pay you back the money that you should have gotten. Ah, okay. In the years that yeah, were Yeah, I've always wondered that, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think about the time that I started practicing in school law, which is 16 years ago, was, was a period of time when the state was not meeting Prop 98. Um, guarantee. Yeah. So I remember hearing that around about that time. Yeah. 
Okay. And then what was happening at the same time was, as we discussed, the term limits law, mm-hmm. uh, Prop 140, mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. 1990, mm-hmm. and um, that and that just eliminated a lot of staff expertise in school finance that the legislature previously had access to. Mm-hmm. Plus, mm-hmm. it put a bunch of legislators um, on track to retire and be replaced with people with no sense of history, no seat-of-pants right. feeling for right. the education issues. Right, no institutional knowledge. Okay, so that's a lot of history. Um, Sorry. No, I, 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 I'm a history buff. And it's I, very uh, valuable to know where you have you've to been, know it. to know where you're going. Exactly, exactly. So and it's great to have it as a resource. step in at another time. You exactly. Know? Yeah, well, you know, those who, those who don't read history are doomed to repeat it, right? Right. So. <laughs> um, okay, so let's pivot a little bit, Karen, and talk about the annual process. We're in releasing this podcast in late June um, 2019, and that means that um, we've been through the six-month process roughly that where the state of California considers a new budget. So can you talk a little bit about the timeline for release and approval of the budget? Sure. So big picture, uh, the state budget operates on a fiscal year, mm-hmm. so July 1 through June 30th. Mm-hmm. In January, Governor Newsom mm-hmm. um, will propose a budget, the mm-hmm. governor's proposed budget in January. Mm-hmm. We've had that experience. Mm-hmm. And now, um, most recently in May, mm-hmm. he proposed a May revise, and mm-hmm. he um, uses updated revenue numbers mm-hmm. that are um, vetted through the Um, Department of Finance, which is the department that advises the governor. Um, The department that advises the state legislature is the legislative analyst's office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the May revise is based on all the new information that the governor has at that time and Mm -hmm. also um, feedback that he's received from constituency groups Mm -hmm. um, in terms of priorities. Yeah, I always wondered what what made the May revise different than the January budget. Right, so it's, it's both... Feedback from constituency mm-hmm. groups, analysis um, based on newer, more recent information mm-hmm. about state revenue, mm-hmm. and and some uh, responses sometimes from the legislative analyst's office as well. Right. So if the state legislative analyst's office sees some error in analysis mm-hmm. or financial projections, they'll bring that to the attention mm-hmm. of the governor. Mm-hmm. And so that results in the May revise. From the May revise, it goes to a budget conference committee which includes both the Assembly and the Senate, Mm -hmm. um, and they look at the same issues. They Mm -hmm. look at information in terms of the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, They get analysis from the LAO, and they look at their priorities and their constituencies' priorities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so from that budget conference committee's work, there is negotiations that happens with the governor's office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most recently, um, the governor's office and the um, budget conference committee reached an initial agreement Mm -hmm. on a proposed budget for the 1920 school year on Mm -hmm. June 9th, Sunday night, as -hmm. a matter of fact. And that's not the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So June 9th is about a week before their deadline. So there's a Mm -hmm. constitutional deadline Mm -hmm for the state legislature to approve and send to the governor a state budget. Um, and that date is coming up. It's Saturday, Saturday June, June 15. 15th. Okay, we'll be releasing this podcast on June 20. So, so by June 20, we mm-hmm. should um, know what the state budget is for the 2019-20 mm-hmm. school year. Mm-hmm. And as a result of Proposition 25 mm-hmm. that passed in 2010, if the um, legislature does not pass a budget mm-hmm. on time, or at least a spending bill, mm-hmm. by that June 15th deadline, they forfeit any money they make on June 16th, <laughs> okay, 17th, right. and every day after right. that, they forfeit the ability to get reimbursed for travel It really expenses. focuses your attention. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. focuses your attention. So when Prop 25 did that, it also gave them a gift. So mm-hmm. they threatened them with the forfeiture of any income that they would receive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they also gave them the, the gift of a uh, simple majority okay. to get it passed through the legislature before it was a supermajority. Okay. And it only happened once. Uh, the um, legislature, I guess they kind of didn't believe it the first year, and it was mm-hmm. Jerry Brown's first year in office and his mm-hmm. second time as governor. And so uh, 
they sent him a budget by June 15th that was a, clearly a ridiculous budget. It had a lot of strange stuff in it that mm. was going to have to be amended later. Jerry Brown looked at it and vetoed the entire thing. He mm. said, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they said, what? And went to work, and it took them 12 days to put a decent budget together, mm. during which time they weren't paid. Wow. And they actually took the controller to court, and uh, I guess they... They won at the uh, local level and lost on appeal. Wow. And they never did that again. Yeah. Learned their lesson. Yeah. Like I said, focus is your attention. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. So now let's come up to the present moment. In 2018, the election of 2018, we had a change into the guard of sorts, as um, both of you have already mentioned. Democrat Jerry Brown concluded his second eight-year term as governor stepped down, um, and as expected, his lieutenant governor, Gavin Newsom, who is also a Democrat, was elected governor. He just released his first budget this January. At the same time, um, former Assemblyman Tony Thurmond, was elect- somebody who was term limited out, I believe, was elected as the new superintendent of public instruction. So, Maddie, what insights do you have on these two men, and do their philosophies and priorities differ from their predecessors in those two roles? Um, well, it's hard to describe Jerry Brown's philosophy mm-hmm. and priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was governor, the first time he described himself proudly as a fiscal conservative. Mm-hmm. So he built up this truly enormous $5 billion surplus. I mean, $5 mm-hmm. billion dollars wow. in the 70s. Wow. But he did nothing to address the real problems of property tra- tax structure that was causing people to lose their homes that as their property the values went mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and before Prop 13, which was driven by that that pro- that property tax issue, uh, before it passed, he uh, said that he opposed it. But right after it passed, he used his surplus to bail out schools for the first year, and then they mm-hmm. floundered. Um, and then uh, he turned around and supported the GAN initiative, mm-hmm. um, which is which is something that makes no sense from a public policy point yeah. of view. And two years later, Howard Jarvis, the uh, author of Prop 13, actually mm-hmm. made a campaign commercial for Jerry Brown. Funny. Then when he ran for president uh, several times at various times, he right. espoused uh, Buddhist economics, which actually mm. is in practice in some Buddhist countries, but... Mm. I don't think we're ready for it. And supply-side economics. Mm. And on his second round as governor in 2012, he raised income taxes and sales taxes right. to fund education, which right. was great, and it wasn't at all very supply-side of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was not at all consistent in his approach to mm-hmm. public finance, and mm-hmm. he never lifted a finger to undo or modify Prop 13, which did happen on his watch. So um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's all I'll say about him. Um, <laughs> Let me just add that um, the comment that he was a fiscal conservative is absolutely correct. And if you look at what he left in the state budget at the time he left office, the this state, most recent time, right, mm-hmm. yeah. um, right before Governor Newsom took over, um, he left the state with almost a nine billion dollar budget surplus. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. because we don't have uh, we had a much more uh, stable base when uh, for. Uh, for fiscal planning when he was governor the first time because we had the property tax, right. which needed reform but didn't need to be almost abolished the way it was. Mm-hmm. And now, and yet he, he built up a surplus the first time. He built up the surplus this time because we don't have a proper system and we really do need rainy day funds and everything else. Mm-hmm. So back to your question, I think um, Gavin Newsom is more down to earth. Mm. Um, he's been in sequence, he's been a private businessman, a mm-hmm. city supervisor, mm-hmm. a city mayor, and a lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. And all in sequence, he's worked his way up through levels of government. Mm-hmm. If he's been paying attention, I think he should really should have learned a lot about the need for consistency and predictability mm-hmm. when it comes to state funding. And his father, Bill Newsom, was a federal judge on the Ninth Circuit Court of oh, Appeals, mm-hmm. and he was appointed in 1978 to replace retiring Justice Sims 
who was a part of a powerhouse three-judge panel. You remember Elkington, Sims, and Racanelli? <laughs> uh, they used to decide federal cases involving educational agencies. It Interesting. Was sort of their specialty. Interesting. So I'm hoping that he brings a more systematic, big-picture approach to the need for funding reform. Mm -hmm. And Tony Thurmond, I can tell you, he was my assembly person. I was happy mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. He's responsive. He's been a school board member. His professional background is in social services, especially with youth and educational mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. And he's got a master's degree in law and social policy mm -hmm. and an MSW in social work, mm -hmm. both from Bryn Mawr. So what's not to like? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, good. That's very interesting. All right, well, um, let's now talk about this budget, which um, we've, as we mentioned, was just recently revised. First of all, Karen, can you tell us what's in it and what are the highlights for public agencies, especially schools? Well, I think this budget reflects Governor Newsom's vision um, for California. He describes it as California for all. Mm -hmm. And when he's looking mm -hmm. at K-12 um, and higher education, he refers to it as cradle to career. Hmm. So he really is looking at a number of, of education um, changes, but also a lot of social services mm -hmm. types of um, uh, priorities, mm -hmm. um, preschool, uh, health care, mm -hmm. homelessness issues. Mm -hmm. So he has a lot of those things included in his proposed budget, which are also reflected in the budget conference committee. And um, most of what we're hearing, and we don't have the fully published mm -hmm. um, budget conference committee report on what their budget will look like. We should get it later this week. By the time you hear this podcast, you will have had the opportunity to review it. Um, sure but we don't, have. yeah, <laughs> we don't have it at this moment. Um, one thing that Governor Newsom doesn't do, he doesn't focus on a recession. Mm. And anyone who's taken economics 101 knows that there will always be another recession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, at least so far, that's been my my personal life experience. Yes. Um, UCLA is forecasting that there will be another recession, and they're focusing on the timing of that and looking at what's happening at the federal level right. in terms of tariffs and tariffs and and other sort of um, economic initiatives by the federal government and mm -hmm. how that might impact mm -hmm. the economy. Right. Um, so what Governor Newsom doesn't do, he doesn't focus on the recession, um, but he does continue. Um, looking at Governor Brown's uh, local control funding formula as mm -hmm. a model to continue. Mm -hmm. What we were hoping to see is that the local um, control funding formula would be extended beyond sort of what I would consider a low low goal mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. 2007 plus inflation. Right. Right. So fully funding LCFF equals mm -hmm. 2007 funding for schools plus right. inflation. Right. What I was hoping to see, which we haven't seen yet, and I don't think is in this current budget, but there's still time, mm -hmm. is a more aspirational approach right. to LCFF. Where, we talked about this in our last podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they're looking more at trying to be in the top 10 of states right. for mm -hmm. school funding. Mm -hmm. um, Instead of the it, bottom 10. One bottom way 10. to go. Right, right. <laughs> and, and start now. And there was proposed legislation that I don't think ended up in this last budget conference committee um, bill, but that would initially begin to each year work towards a higher goal, an mm -hmm. aspirational mm -hmm. goal. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that's in there yet, but that's something definitely that we're hoping to see in the future. Okay. Okay. Let me just sort of outline some of the things that we do here right. are in the, in the conference committee's proposed budget. So mm -hmm. Prop 98 funding for 1920, mm -hmm. um, the minimum guarantee is estimated to be $81.1 billion, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is an increase of $2.7 billion as compared mm -hmm. to last year. Okay. So 1819 compared to 1920, it's a $2.7 billion increase. That's good. It, it's interesting to think of the state budget in terms of that number for for um, for public education because the state received over twenty one point five billion dollars more oh, in new revenue year over year. Hmm. So looking just at Prop ninety eight and mm -hmm. realizing that's just a little over ten percent mm -hmm. of the net mm -hmm. new revenue. Where hmm. does all the other revenue go? Right, right? Mm -hmm. and I don't have an answer to that, but. But just the Prop 98 portion mm -hmm. that's being proposed is $2.7 more mm -hmm. than last year. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. important. Sounds like a lot, 
but in context, it doesn't right. sound as Interesting. much. Yeah. Interesting. There's an, an allocation to the Prop 98 reserve that Maddie was talking about. Mm-hmm. So a first deposit of $389 million into the public school system stabilization account mm-hmm. is what that's called. And that was established by the voters in 2014 mm-hmm. through Proposition 2. It's one of the rainy day funds. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In terms of the local control funding formula, even though um, in January they were proposing a cost of living adjustment of 3.49, mm-hmm. this budget and the governor's May revise reduced it by two tenths of a percent mm-hmm. to 3.26 percent. Mm-hmm. So that's that's difficult for school districts. Whenever that's... there are any adjustments from January mm-hmm. to May, districts as they're revising their budget throughout the year and mm-hmm. making multi-year mm-hmm. projections have to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. So if at one point mm-hmm. in the year mm-hmm. it looks like you're going to have more revenue, you plan for that new revenue. Right. But then if you have to adjust it back, that causes a number of issues in terms of your planning, but it also causes trust issues. Mm-hmm. So in the labor negotiations context, um, People who don't understand this budget process don't mm-hmm. understand the obligations of school districts to implement what's being projected in January through the governor's proposed budget, then revised in May through the mm-hmm. May revise, and then finally adopted, and then there's adjustments, and mm-hmm. then there's local mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. understand that the budget is this living document that has mm-hmm. to make adjustments consistent with all of these standards right. that are identified for them to use. And they don't have a lot of discretion. Mm -hmm. Most of the Mm -hmm. discretion that used to be um, there that Maddie talked about pre-Prop 13 is no longer there. It's very restrictive. There's not not ways to hide money or move Mm. uh, program expenditures in the way that there was you know, pre-Prop 13, right. so that's mm-hmm. a big deal, and it, and it causes confusion, and it requires a lot of discussion. Karen, I've got a question that's um, based on that. What, uh, are they still doing multi-year agreements? Are you still doing multi-year agreements, and are you still, is anybody still writing contingency language? I remember that that got so difficult at some points that people didn't want right. to touch contingency language with a 10-foot pole, because you never knew what was going to happen and what odd stuff the legislature was going to pull? Well, the answer to both your questions is yes, but it's cyclical. So in terms of multi-year agreements, I recently, a week and a half ago, negotiated a three-year agreement. That's great. Okay, so by the way, we're talking about negotiating with a labor union for salary and benefits for Right, a collective bargaining agreement. agreement. Okay. So recently settled for three years. That that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the one I negotiated prior to that was maybe five years ago for a, a fully closed contract for three years because what happens when there's a lot of risk and unpredictability mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. state budget, people don't want to commit mm-hmm. to a multi-year Neither agreement. side wants to Neither commit. side. Mm-hmm. Right. The district is afraid of cuts in the future and mm-hmm. they can't afford an agreement and the union is afraid that if they do commit in the future, there might be additional revenue that they've left on the table yeah. mm-hmm. by, by closing down mm-hmm. a contract. So, and, and then your second question had to do with contingency language and formulas. And what, would that, what, what does that mean to lay people? So I, I like the robot analogy, but <laughs> essentially it's, it's mm-hmm. another kind of bot, right? Okay. It's, it's, okay. A, it's a formula mm-hmm. um, where you have a lot of X and Ys, think algebra, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you design that formula in words that says, if this happens, mm-hmm. if X happens, Y will be the increase. Okay. And so um, in the 90s and the 2000s, formulas were pretty common. We mm-hmm. had a rem- revenue limit model where most increases in ongoing funds for school districts came through a COLA and mm-hmm. um, was based on growth right. factors. And so you could create a contingency or a formula agreement for compensation that had those two factors in mm-hmm. in it. You know, if the COLA is this, compensation will be this and right. we'll deduct from whatever compensation would be, you know, the cost of keeping health benefits, the cost of step and column, whatever it might be, whatever those factors are would be included in that formula. That was pretty common. There were sometimes disputes on what that formula meant. Well, and sometimes when the legislature said, oh, it was a loan, everybody was like, what does that do to our contingency right. agreement? Mm. Right, right. And so those contingency agreements ended up being, in some cases, and especially during 
the Great Recession and probably in the recession in the 90s a source of, of litigation mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. forms. Um, and so those were difficult. As we've reached full funding under LCFF and we're moving more to a COLA environment where there's not huge shifts, I think unions are still waiting to jump into doing formulas in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are some that, that maintain formulas throughout this time. They're few and far mm-hmm. in between, and they had some significant challenges moving their model from a revenue limit model to an LCFF model. Okay. I would expect if there's stability for formulas to continue to be something that is pursued by both districts and um, labor groups because it provides a level of fairness. Mm-hmm. The idea being that all you know, high tide rises all boats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we get more money, you're going to get more money. Mm-hmm. If we get more money, this is how the money is going to be allocated mm-hmm. going forward. Mm-hmm. And it takes out some of the human subjective aspects right. in terms of creating new programs, hiring new management, doing some other new things. If there's a formula in place, it limits the ability to have that kind of subjective, discretionary um, activities, I'll call them. Okay. So maybe formulas work better at the local level than they do statewide. <laughs> you know, in some cases, if the formula is well done. Yeah, a better bot, right? Better bot. Okay. So yeah. was there anything else about the budget that well, you there's tell a, us there's a lot. There's a lot, and I know we have limited time, but mm-hmm. the two of the other um, mm-hmm. things I just want to highlight is when they reduced the the projected COLA from January to May mm-hmm. and in the budget conference committee down by two-tenths of a percent. They also did something really great, mm-hmm. and that was they, they are proposing to use one-time money mm-hmm. to reduce the level of increase for pension costs for school districts. So what do I mean by that? Mm. So employers and employees contribute a percentage of their income mm-hmm. towards their pensions, mm-hmm. uh, public employee pensions, and most recently, they've been going up very high for mm-hmm. employers and also for employees. They've been going up quite a bit mm-hmm. to make sure that the um, revenue that the CalSTRS, which is the pension system for teachers, and, and PERS, which is the pension system for classified employees, to make sure that the money that they're bringing in matches the money they're paying out in pensions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they've been increasing, based on actuarial information, how much they're requiring um, employers and employees to kick into the system mm-hmm. to make sure mm-hmm. there's enough money for when those employees retire to pay okay. them what their promise okay. Okay, great. Um, has been. And so employers have been picking up a huge amount of those increased pension right. costs. So, for example, if there's increased revenue to the district of 3%, mm-hmm. half of it or two-thirds of it will end up immediately being... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, taken off the top and applied to these pensions. Right. So there's no leftover money to cover all the other things that are increasing mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of costs. The good thing that's included in this proposed budget, hopefully it will go through, is that Governor Newsom proposed and the legislature is agreeing to take some of this money, this mm-hmm. $21.5 billion, and allocate it towards reducing employers' obligations to contribute mm-hmm. at the higher level mm-hmm. um, for the next two years. Okay. Still, employers will have to contribute more, and that's mm-hmm. what people lose in the equation. Mm-hmm. They still have to contribute more, just not as much. Not as much as Mm -hmm. what was projected. Mm -hmm. So this is a good thing. It also Mm -hmm. proposes to send money directly from the state into these systems to help reduce the need in the future to increase revenue for those systems. Okay. So that's also a positive. The other, there's some other things in terms of um, full day kindergarten I won't go into, Mm. uh, but another big area that I'm waiting anxiously to see the results of is special education funding increases. So Mm -hmm. this has been long overdue. The obligations under the law to provide special ed services to students is so great and often so litigious that districts can't keep up with those increasing costs. Right. So part of this proposed budget includes additional base funding for special education students. Okay. We don't know exactly how that will look. Mm-hmm. This is one area where the legislature differs from the governor mm-hmm. in terms of what's being proposed. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. The governor was looking at some sort of a differential model mm-hmm. where if you had on average, more students in special ed programs and you Mm -hmm. paid 
more for services for those students than the average, then you those particular unique districts would get a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, this new proposed budget includes special ed funding that equalizes the additional mm-hmm. special ed funding for all districts. So mm-hmm. I'm waiting to see if that's that actually happens. But okay. that's a huge that yeah. will be a huge relief for districts. Hopefully, oh, that okay. comes through. Yeah. Okay, that's Great. marvelous. Yeah. yeah, that that's that's a big one. Okay. Okay, that's all great. That's a lot of great information. Thank you, Karen. Um, I'd like to tie this discussion of what's in the current budget back to our last conversation about finance and review, Maddie, what funding schools get from the state. Can you just do a quick review of that issue? What part of a school district's particular financial picture will be affected by the funding that Karen's just been describing, and, and what won't be? Well, on average, the average district gets its funds from three sources, mm-hmm. the state, about 58% of its funds come from the state. This is the average district. Average yeah. district. Mm-hmm. Property tax and taxes and other local sources, uh, about 32%, and the federal government, about 9%. Okay. Um, if you're a basic aid district, that is, mm-hmm. if you take in more property taxes than um, what's the level of funding now? It used to be your revenue. Your base grant, right? Now your base grant, mm-hmm. right? If you take get in more property taxes... Uh, than that, um, you keep those rather than getting uh, some of the state funding. If you uh, have a foundation, if you have a parcel tax, uh, both of those can boost your local sources, Mm -hmm. but the lion's Mm -hmm. share of it still comes from the state. And the state share is based on the big three, income tax, sales and use tax, and corporate taxes. Uh, Those are all very volatile, and that's why we get back to rainy day funds, both Mm -hmm. at the state and the local level, becoming a bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. thing, Mm -hmm. larger and larger requirements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Great. So, in other words, roughly speaking, for the average school district, about 58%, somewhere more than 50%, roughly, of their funding will be impacted by the outcome of the discussion, uh, the budget that was currently under approval. Yes. Right. Okay. Great. Now, we talked about, we're going to release this podcast on June 20, 2019. Uh, by June 15, um, a few days before this, this podcast comes out, the, um, this is the deadline for the legislature to pass the budget. It then goes to the governor. Maddie, I understand that the governor has the right to blue pencil parts of the budget. So what's that about and how often is it used? Well, that's the line item veto. Okay, um, right. The, the president doesn't have that. Right. The Constitution and the presentment clause mm-hmm. of the um, Congress has the exclusive uh, authority to present a budget. But uh, in California and in most states, go- governors have a line item veto power and they can cherry pick different things in the budget that the legislature has adopted they don't mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would take a two-thirds vote of the legislature to override any line item veto. Okay. And I don't recall that ever happening, but uh, it's not to say that it, it wouldn't. Um, it does, I don't think it's happened as much in recent years. We used to have Democratic legislatures and Republican governors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so they were like, uh, Governor Duke Majin just had a blue pencil in his hand <laughs> all the time. Um, and, uh, and it made contingency bargaining more difficult, too. Right. Um, but uh, I, things are much less partisan now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, great. All right. So... Let, let's go back to talking about um, where we started, which is how these budget issues have impacted negotiations in the past. And so now, Karen, I'd like to ask you how you see the budget you've just been describing, how you see it playing a role at the table for 2019-2020. So it's going to have a major role, mm-hmm. and, and it will be the start of all the conversations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that involve negotiations for 1920 and, and actually for beyond, mm-hmm. um, because as part of the budget adoption, there's also projections that are made for mm-hmm. the 2021 and 21 mm-hmm. 22 school year, and those years are also included in a multi year budget, which di- districts are required mm-hmm. um, to have. And so, the, the way it's going to have an impact is first, you're going to have some new revenue in the form of a COLA. which is new revenue to the LCFF amounts that districts receive per student. Offsetting that 3.2% increase in revenue, though, are all of these other 
um, hands that are waiting to take that money as soon as it arrives. Mm. So you have the need to keep up with step and column, meaning teachers and classified employees move across the salary schedule based upon their years of experience and their mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. That happens automatically year after year unless you're going through a recession and you negotiate something. So another, freeze. another little time-honored bot. Right, right, exactly. Right. In it other keeps words, moving forward, eating up new revenue right. as it comes in. In other words, as your workforce ages, they typically move up the salary schedule and cost you more. Right. Mm-hmm. So the the only way that that, that results in some sort of a balance is people retire mm-hmm. at the top of the salary schedule and then you hire people at the beginning of the right. salary schedule. Sometimes that offsets mm-hmm. those increases in costs. However, mm-hmm. what happened during the recession and more recently is that many districts um, started recruiting lateral people with higher levels of experience. Mm-hmm. So that offsetting balance between new hires at the beginning mm-hmm. of the schedule and retirees, that, that really doesn't happen as much anymore. Right. And when They're, you have layoffs, you tend to lose the bottom of the salary schedule. Is exactly, that right? Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there are all these hands asking for money. So you've mm-hmm. got step and column. You've got increased health care costs if there's no uh, employer maximum contribution for mm-hmm. health benefits. Mm-hmm. You have um, other things that are that are happening throughout the state in negotiations, um, and one of the really important topics this last year and this year that I'm hearing about and that I'm experiencing is the need for better working conditions mm. for um, district employees that serve students with special needs, mm. both classified employees and certificated employees. Mm-hmm making sure they have the mental health and behavioral support that they need Mm -hmm. to support students um, Mm -hmm. in the classroom. So those things cost. They usually involve more staff, more training. Mm -hmm. Um, There is additional mandates that come both from the federal government and the state. So at the state level, there's a lot more leave time that districts need to provide, which Mm -hmm. means there's a lot more substitute pay Mm -hmm. that they have to pay Mm -hmm. out. They didn't used to have to pay Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. So that has a huge impact. And, And it doesn't get mentioned very often, but it does have a significant Mm -hmm. impact. Mm -hmm. There's also the impact um, that results from training requirements. This is going to be the first year coming up where every employee needs to be trained on sexual harassment Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. issues. And so all those mandates come from that very small amount of new revenue, that 3.26%. The additional increase in STRS and PERS contribution Mm -hmm. come from that Mm 3.26%. And usually when you put all the numbers up and you subtract all the Mm -hmm. obligations that are on that money before you even come to the table to start negotiating the increased Mm -hmm. cost to serve special ed students, you deduct each one of those. Um, expenditure obligations that are completely outside the control of the district, typically you end up Mm -hmm. with a negative number Mm. in most cases. So Mm. you'll hear a lot of people, um, you'll hear a lot of labor unions, especially we've been hearing a lot of this from those that have been on strike in Oakland and Mm -hmm. LA Unified, Mm -hmm. that districts have received increasing um, new revenue every year, every year. Why aren't we getting raises that keep up with that increasing revenue? They show the trajectory of that line going up, but they don't also show the trajectory of the line above that revenue line, which mm-hmm. is the expenditure line, which is also going up and is outpacing right. that new revenue. So in negotiations, what you have is a perception of new revenue. And yes, there's new revenue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A perception that we're in a, a bit of a boom mm-hmm. um, and that a recession might be around the corner. So mm-hmm. you need to get what you can mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. before that recession mm-hmm. hits. Mm-hmm. And this, this feeling that there's a lack of transparency because if districts are receiving this new revenue, mm-hmm. why isn't it there for increases? Right. And not an understanding of all these additional expenditures that districts mm-hmm. are obligated to undertake outside of their control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, and that kind of sets up for what was going to be my next question. I mentioned in a prior podcast, I talked to Lou Lozano and Darren Kamea about um, the Janus case and about the impact of teacher strikes at LAUSD and Oakland Unified, among other places. I'm wondering specifically um, how this current budget, how you see it playing into that conversation and, and whether or not it would have a tendency, maybe we can't say yet, to either head off or inspire future labor actions. How is, how do, how is that sort of looming issue around recent labor actions interact with the budget? Well, it doesn't solve the issue that labor unions have, Mm -hmm. which is to provide 
um, their unit members with a living wage in a state that's very expensive to live in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so this budget makes some progress because even though the COLA is lower, the 3.26 is lower than the 3.46% mm -hmm. that was originally projected, while it's lower than what was projected, they've also increased, what it appears to be is that they've increased the state's contribution towards STRS and PERS. Mm -hmm. um, and so the number that the district was projecting in terms of what it needed to contribute for those areas isn't going to be as high mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. what they were worried about. So things have improved. There are some districts that were on the cusp mm -hmm. of not being able to fund its obligations, of being taken over by the state, of requiring loans. There were some districts that just this slightly better picture will mm -hmm. cause them to have a, a projected outcome in future years so that they have time to make cuts or make changes or negotiate um, changes so that they don't go bankrupt in the future. So it buys a little bit of time for some of those mm -hmm. districts that are on the cusp. But for most districts, it's more of what they experienced last year, more expenditures that are outside of their control that mm -hmm. they must make and not enough revenue to cover all of it, high demand, mm -hmm. and a lack of understanding by the general population and by mm -hmm. others about that That pull mm -hmm. on revenue um, and and that causes strain mm -hmm. and you you sprinkle that with the Janus decision mm -hmm. and the need for mm -hmm. labor organizations to demonstrate their strength their power mm -hmm. their ability to provide a negotiated living um, mm -hmm. wage for their members and and that's the recipe for where we are now okay okay interesting Maddie do you have perspective on all that oh uh, just that we don't spend nearly enough on education. We don't bring it in in a, a reasonable way because we're such a wealthy state. If we mm -hmm. were a country, we'd be the, what, sixth? Fifth, sixth, something like fifth that, yeah. Sixth wealthiest country in the mm -hmm. world. It keeps mm -hmm. changing, but, mm -hmm. but it's ridiculous. And mm -hmm. we're 41st among the 50 states in what we spend per pupil. So That's stark. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. We're, we're, we're not doing what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And... And I've always told my daughters, you need to aim high and then have a fallback plan. Mm -hmm, uh, the mm -hmm. problem with the way the LCFF model has been designed mm -hmm. is it aims low. Mm -hmm, 2007 mm -hmm. plus inflation. Why, yeah. why don't we aim to be in the top 10 or number one? Yeah. Yeah. And then progressively move towards that goal rather than saying this is what it is and sort of continuing that status quo. Well, because quo. we have to uh, raise the revenue to fund it, Yeah. basically. Right. It's got to come into the state before the state can give it out. Right. I go back to that $21.5 billion this year in more revenue that the state received mm -hmm. and the amount that districts are receiving, which is closer to $2.5 billion. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot's being spent in these other areas to try to incentivize full-day kindergarten to provide more mm -hmm. for special mm -hmm. ed, mm -hmm. and those are great to improve mm -hmm. pensions, but there's so much more that can be done. Right. And looking at all of our revenues that we are receiving, if there's opportunities like there has been this year to do better, to do more, why mm -hmm. not prioritize public education? Well, exactly. And mm -hmm. the, the um, public perception that Prop 98 guarantees that right. if the state is doing well, education is do, going to do well, it, because of the sort of in, incredible thicket of robot uh, devices hmm. in the Constitution and the laws um, doesn't actually achieve that goal. A thicket of robots. Is that what you call a group of robots? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, well, this is great because I want to move towards closing this discussion, um, which is just fascinating, and I could keep, keep going for a long time. But I guess I would like to ask both of you for your thoughts on the long view and knowing what we know about the history of budgetary issues, knowing the history, what would be, I guess my question is, if those who don't read history are doomed to repeat it, how might we advise clients to use the history that we've talked about here to anticipate future issues coming out of this year's budget or, or future budgets? Well, Maddie mentioned one of them that started, which mm -hmm. is saving for a rainy day. When we mm -hmm. do have mm -hmm. um, significant income, put some money aside mm -hmm. to soften the downturn. 
there's no way they can put enough money aside right. to completely address a recession mm-hmm. or there wouldn't be a recession. Sure. Right? You would mm-hmm. infuse so much money yeah. into the economy that it would counteract a recession. Mm-hmm. But planning in terms of not just looking at our old systems, our old robots, mm-hmm. but looking at new ideas. We've got a, a, a government in place right now with mm-hmm. a forward-thinking governor, a democratically-led um, legislature, meaning they're all on the same team, Right. Look, looking at revenue sources, looking at the way we tax now, um, understanding that they there is the initiative process and it will be out of control out of mm-hmm. their control if they don't do something about it mm-hmm. really looking mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. Um, building new models going forward for mm-hmm. revenue generation and having the prioritization be on schools mm-hmm. rather than allowing the system to determine how much schools are prioritized is, is mm-hmm. what I'm hoping they'll do in the future so an aspirational LCFF yeah. funding model would would be much better than what we have now. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't see anything, any real leverage at the local level for mm-hmm. districts. Um, I think that the education community getting together, I mean, they've done it on a number of occasions in the past. They've done it with lawsuits. They did it with Prop 98. And each time they've done it imperfectly and maybe recognizing that, that imperfection and being more technical, less political, and more, uh, more forward-thinking, um, uh, more, what, what, do you, what do I want to say, more wonky about, hmm. about uh, how to create a system that really, truly works before throwing out the old system would be fine, but we have to replace it with something that's really, really well thought through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Figure out what's good, keep it, and then do throw out some of the things that aren't working. Yeah. Right. Few of the robots. Mm-hmm. Retire them. Right. Okay. Or at least do a 2.0. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Budget 2.0. Well, if there is such a thing, I'll have you, we'll come back and talk about that. Upgrade. Upgrade, yes. exactly. <laughs> Get me a new phone. All right. Well, thank you both so much for making the time to have this conversation. Oh, I wanted to say one oh, more please, thing. Oh, please, Manny. In, in the way of uh, upgrading, um, the California Constitution, believe it or not, is the eighth longest constitution in the world. Wow. And in 2010, there was a progressive group called the Bay Area Council that tried to put two measures on the ballot for constitutional reform. And they said, quote, to take on the manifold structural problems in California's budget process at a single stroke. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. understood it. That uh, initiative never made it onto the ballot. They couldn't even get their signature gathered going. There was strong opposition from a number of major signature gathering firms, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, Mm -hmm. because amending the Constitution is big (laughs) business. It's an industry. So there's a there's a a measure that's going to be on the 2020 ballot Hmm. for a split role. Right to uh, tax. Um, commercial property except for commercial agriculture and um, industrial property at market value rather than purchase price Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and keep the protections for homeowners. Mm -hmm. I'm banking on that and I really think the education community should wholeheartedly get behind that because that that's the first step towards giving breathing room before we get this Constitution 2.0, mm-hmm. which we mm-hmm. really truly it's a first need. step. Yeah, the split roles really is an upgrade for us. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That came up in our last conversation as well. So, again, if we get if that happens, I mean, actually, maybe when we get close to the 2020 election, we should have a more in-depth conversation about that idea. And sure. certainly, I have ideas based on this conversation for future conversations with the two of you about financial issues and how they impact our schools. It's so important, and it's so hard to find good information about it. So, thank you both so much for making the time. Um, I always learn so much when I speak with you, so um, let's let's keep on talking. Thank Thanks, you. Devin. It's uh, a pleasure. Thank always you. a pleasure to talk about the Constitution. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, wait. We have some breaking news. Since we recorded last week, the legislature has now adopted, passed a the final form of the budget. It is sitting on Governor Newsom's desk as of today, June 20. 2019. And so I want to go back to you, Karen, one more time and find out what's in the final form of budget, at least as enacted by the legislature. Thank you, Devin. I think um, mostly he was very successful in terms of 
the governor holding true to the principles that he laid out both in January and in May. And so it was pretty significant how much the legislature comported their proposed budget um, with the governor's principles that he's been laying out for the last several months. In terms of what differs from what we talked about earlier with Maddie, much of it is the same, where there is some differences in terms of special education. The governor's proposed budget on special education was much more targeted on uh, certain schools um, based on their demographics and their LCFF numbers. Mm -hmm. In this particular budget, the legislature expanded who would be receiving additional special ed funds to all school districts that serve students that are in the younger ranges, Mm -hmm. three, four, um, and five, who have an individualized education plan. So that's a that's a big expansion and a big mm-hmm, change mm-hmm. from what it has been. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the other thing, I mean, just in terms of the numbers, we talked about the significant amount that was going to be attributed towards pension costs, which would provide some relief to school districts in the state. In the proposed legislative budget on the governor's desk, the final budget includes money for both CalSTRS for the certificated and, and um, employees mm-hmm. and also for classified employees who are covered under CalPERS. So that's a okay. bit of a change. The focus mm-hmm. on CalPERS mm-hmm. is a bit of a change, and it's a significant amount of money mm. beyond the Prop 98 value. In terms of the COLA and the contribution under Prop 98, all of those numbers stay the same as compared to the May revise. There's quite a bit in the budget for training, both training for teachers in the pipeline to become teachers as well as current teachers and current administrators. So there's a lot to be happy about in this budget, and it's certainly a step in the right direction. Okay, that's all good news. Okay, so as we noted, um, Gavin Newsom does have the ability to uh, blue pencil any part of what's on his desk, but sounds like he got a lot of what he wanted. He sure did. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much for your additional time, Karen, and we'll be talking again soon. It's a great pleasure, Devin. Thank you. All right, and thank you to our listeners today for tuning in to Lozano Smith's podcast. We encourage you to visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com slash podcast to find links and additional details on some of the topics we discussed today. Also, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks, everybody. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard.